With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is before the box score. You know, BK, Sam and Matt like start all their podcasts with like cocktail hour, talking about what they're drinking and how highfalutin their, their taste palates are. I'm drinking a Dr. Pepper. What are you drinking? You know, actually, I have a beer for us this week. Um, oh. I am going with, it's called a Bird Up B-Y-R-D. Uh, it's a dry hopped rye pale ale from Rockwell Beer Company out here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, oh. I am a craft beer guy by nature, so I am going with a craft beer for the podcast tonight because there are some things that I'm going to need a beer to talk about tonight. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Uh, and I'm not doing the grandfather's Dr. Pepper. I'm just doing straight up 23 flavors because uh, I am thirsty. You're not um, going with an Eli drink, what's up? No, I'm not doing drinking the drink wits. Uh, I need my I need my head and shoulders on the right spot. Um, but I'm not saying I might have one later. But uh, for now, clean and sober for the best show for all of our lovely listeners who you should rate and follow and subscribe and all that good stuff. Um, let's let's dive into some Mizzou stuff because we've had some Mizzou action in the past couple of weeks. We've also had some other bigger things happening. But we're going to start <laughs> with the fun stuff. Uh, well. We're going to start with roster management and the good and the bad with, with both of that. So, BK, a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week? I don't even know. Time is a time is a construct that I don't follow right now. But at some point before we recorded today's show, 
I put together the scholarship breakdown. And BK, I tell you, I, I did my homework. I double-checked everything. And yet somehow I completely missed that Antar Thompson uh, had, had graduated and, and was no longer on the team. Um, so we can we can list, we can take him off the list, and then uh, did I say Antar Thompson? I am mixing my players up. Kamari Thompson um, left was uh, is in the transfer portal. Um, he was a speedster wide receiver um, from Georgia who didn't really ever see the field uh, or just in fits and starts. So. Antar is gone. Oh, they're both last names Thompson. Ha-ha. Yeah. Antar Thompson's gone. I was about to say, I think you got that right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow. There's no way they both have the same last name. But they do. Antar Thompson's gone. Kamari Thompson's gone. That's one defensive tackle gone from a huge group of DTs. Uh, and then one wide receiver gone. So that puts uh, that put the team at 79. Um, BK, we had not seen these two gentlemen all that often on the field. Any immediate thoughts about uh, Antar's graduation and Kamari's uh, transfer portal jumping? Uh, let's start with Antar. I, just a great story. And I understand that it didn't work out on the football field for him the way that a lot of Mizzou fans certainly probably hoped at Missouri. But got his degree. Um, said from day one he wanted to come to Mizzou. Ended up getting to Mizzou and... Took a detour in the middle, but he ended up getting exactly what he wanted out of it. He got his scholarship. He got his degree from the University of Missouri. God bless the kid. I'm rooting for him. I hope everything goes well from here. Um, but in terms of like the cold, hard reality of the situation for the football team, it made sense. If you're going to lose somebody at any position, um, if you're going to have somebody that's graduating that is avail- able to leave and if they want to continue their career elsewhere or just go into whatever is next in their life, Antar Thompson made a ton of sense to be that guy. They don't have a ton of need for him at the position. They are loaded with seniors at the position. So it, it made a lot of sense for a lot of reasons that Antar would be one of the guys to leave. As for the receiver position. There are so many names, and we've talked about this before, but they have so many names and so little in terms of, like, known commodities of exactly what they're going to get from them. But we knew Kamari Thompson was not an answer at the position. Um, And that's just the reality of it. And again, this is me speaking cold, hard realities of what the coaches were probably looking at. They look at the receiver position. They say, we've got too many numbers here. Who's a guy that we can afford to lose? And they decided that this was probably one of the guys that they would be able to lose. And I'm sure they're going to help him find whatever his next stop is going to be. But for everybody's uh, best interest moving forward, it made a lot of sense. So I can't say I'm stunned by it, but those are two positions that if you're going to lose guys, they can probably withstand it. I agree. I, I, there's no there's no point in me showing that you know I'm right that we are right but you know I think about two weeks ago we we discussed about pushing somebody out and it would be very much a hey let's let's see if we can find you a roster spot somewhere else and that's just the business of this sport uh in a in a, <laughs> in a sport that's full of amateurs you got to move them out I mean if you look at the receiver position our best returning receiver is Barrett Bannister <laughs> Yeah, maybe uh, J- Jalen Knox. I'd probably go Knox, but uh, I, with very yeah. little evidence of it last year. But I still, I still yeah. believe in the talent. I still believe in the talent. Yeah. So, I mean, there it's wide open. But you also have one, two, three. You have five guys 
who have some version of freshman next to their classification. You have Kratowski Dove, um, who's the the lone sophomore, and then Dom Jacinto, Jalen Knox, Barrett Bannister, and then all the the grad transfers that came in. Uh, Damon uh, Damon Hazelton, Kiki Chisholm, and then of course Michael Wilson. So like I mean, ugh, you know, Kamari Thompson could have found a niche as as an Emmanuel Hall speedster, but you know we we said there was going to be a force out at some point, and that is to me that this, this is what that is, and it's not a bad thing. This happens everywhere, but yeah, too many receivers, too many young ones to keep someone like like Thompson around. So um, it certainly makes sense, and I think he's going to do do well elsewhere. I mean, he's he's a fast guy. You know, maybe at Georgia State, Georgia Southern. Um, you know, maybe a, a, a group of five team, but um, he's going to do well, and I hope he does well because he was he was a talented kid. He was, and the other thing by by pushing him out, and not some of the others, and this is something that coaches absolutely have to consider as they're doing stuff like this. A lot of the other guys that are below him are guys from the state of Missouri. Like mm-hmm. you're not pushing out C.J. Boone, you're not pushing out no. Maurice Massey. You just no. recruited the other guys that are younger than him. Dominic Jacinto mm-hmm. from the state of Missouri. Barrett Bannister is a guy that's going to play for this team. Same thing for Jalen Knox. So like, who are the other options for you if you're going to go this route at a position where you have a ton of numbers and are continuing to recruit at the position? He just made the most sense. So I think that's why he ended up going elsewhere. And listen, th- these guys aren't going to be the last ones. Not. I'm not speaking for this year. I, they'll likely be the last ones, I would think, for this season. Um, but after the season, we see this every time there's a new coaching staff. There will be some guys that see whether they don't fit this system the same way that they did the previous one or they've been passed over by somebody younger than There will be turnover after the season. And that's why I'm really not worried about some of the numbers that Mizzou's getting right now in recruiting because they're probably going to need to have a bigger recruiting class than they are anticipating because there's going to be guys on the roster right now that won't be here by March or April of next year. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that I took a, the roster, the scholarship count down to 79. We got it back up to 80 yesterday with the commitment of uh, Juco defensive end Daniel Robledo um, out of East Los Angeles College. Um, I think... Did you watch his uh, commitment video at all? Yeah. I got to say, like, that was that was uh, uniquely heartwarming. Just a, a dude kind of speaking his mind in front of seemingly just one other person recording him, if that, um, and, you know, thanking his family and, and citing his journey and, and committing, like, to very little fanfare. Like, it was so um, understated that I loved it, and I thought it was really nice. He's a dude that I'm going to be rooting for. Um, there's some times where, and these are the human interest stories, right? Like, you, you kind of fall in love with some of these guys. It was the same thing for Charles Harris whenever he committed yeah. to Mizzou. Like, you yeah. just, you hear the story and you're like, well, damn, I'm rooting for that guy. Um, and Antar <laughs> Thompson, honestly, like, is one, yeah. is one of those yeah. as well, right? So you, you hear the story, and it was like a two-minute video, so I don't know the full backstory um, of what he's gone through in his life or how we got to where he is today, but I'm sure we're going to read something on that eventually down the road. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, And so I, I, he's a kid that I'm going to be rooting for, and he also makes a lot of sense for Missouri. He's 6'5", I think if I saw, if I'm not mistaken. 6'5", 280? Yeah, and I think it's actually 285 now. I think yeah. I, I read that from Power Mizzou, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. If I had to guess, he's going to play D-tackle at the next level. He certainly um, could. If, if he's not going to be there 
immediately, I would say by the end of his career at Mizzou, I would anticipate him playing there. Uh, maybe he plays some three-tech. I, I think he fits the position well, and they need guys like that to be able to kind of even out some of these classes. So mm-hmm. I think it was a good decision by Mizzou to take a guy like that. Um, and we've been talking all along about how many defensive linemen they need to bring in, and they were able to get one that appears to. By the way, I don't know if you've watched his recruiting videos, but he looks pretty good, and you never know with yeah. Juco like what the talent level is that he's going up against, but he looked pretty darn good in some of the highlights. Especially for a bigger dude. like He was he was slicing between, uh, between the tackles uh, and really taking down some guys in the backfield, which, again, how talented is that tackle? I don't know, but um, for for a big guy, he moved awfully quick, which was awesome. Um, he is also a teammate of Benjamin Key, who was another East Los Angeles College product who signed with Missouri uh, this past uh, recruiting cycle. I didn't and even put all... two and two together. Yeah, I can't believe I will... didn't, but I didn't even put two and two together. <laughs> he also is a bigger defensive end who could probably play tackle as well. I think he is slated to be ta- uh playing tackle so yeah there's a there's a little bit of pipeline here and i think uh ben was was kind of in the coach's ears about uh getting his teammate back in here so i think that's great um I, i'm i'm really glad that we got uh robledo to, to match with shamar pearl i i heard somewhere and i don't i didn't verify it before we jumped on the air here but i think pearl and robledo were like number one number two juco defensive ends as far as recruiting rankings go um which is pretty nice to have, um, especially when you're when you're bringing in a Travion Ford as well. So you can you can have these two guys kind of hold the position down with uh, with a Jatorian Hansford, uh, while the younger guys Travion Ford, Johnny Walker, kind of get their feet underneath them. Um, but you can see kind of like in the scholarship math, you can see these classes being shaken out, um, bringing in the experience in this class, and then you can load up on four year players after that. And one of those players that also committed by between the last time that we recorded and today is Jonathan Jones, the three-star defensive end out of Dallas, Texas. So mm-hmm. they've they've got one there as well. We said they needed numbers on the defensive line, and I'll be damned if Eli Trinkwitz wasn't like, okay, well, let's go ahead and get two of them between the time that you record <laughs> and the time that you record again. It's amazing, man. This guy, it, it seems like they never sleep, but uh, they were able to get – Two big-time defensive line commits. Now, he's a 5-5-3 star out of Dallas, so I don't want to overstate how big of a get Jonathan Jones was, but he's a guy that a position of need that also had, I don't know if they were committable, but offers listed from Arizona <laughs> State, Arizona, Boise State, Colorado. Mm-hmm. These are schools where if they legitimately offered, okay, cool, I'm in. Sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. especially Boise. Boise loves to take... Texas linemen and bring them up and uh, and have them be really really good. They they develop players very well. So um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a five five three star. You know, that still means you could play day one if you needed to. Um, but he's coming in with with the luxury of of being able to learn uh, the college level a little bit, uh, put some more weight on. He's only two thirty five right yeah. now. I'd like to see him at least at two forty five. Uh, but he is six four, so I mean that's that's a good starting spot, and he sh- he can certainly hold on to a little bit more weight, I think. So, um, yeah, it's uh it's been good, it's been good to seeing these uh, the defensive linemen continue to stock up uh, since we need somebody to step up and be a pass rusher, please. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. We we've said it a thousand times. We don't need to rehash it here, but Drinkwitz's staff is very good at recruiting so far. 
um, and that that's continued even during COVID. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, these guys stick around when the when the game started being played. Absolutely, and I haven't looked lately. Have you seen where they are in the rankings at this point? Currently 18th in rivals. That's incredible. We mm-hmm. are mid-July at this point, and Mizzou football has the 18th ranked recruiting class in the country. That that's that's amazing, man. Just saying it's it incredible. out loud is something I never thought I would say. Now there are numbers that go with this that are like some sometimes this stuff gets skewed, but they were between. Alabama and Oklahoma currently in the recruiting <laughs> rankings, which is just absolutely incredible. And it seems like it should be impossible. I agree, but it's not, it's real. It's really happening. So very impressive. It, I, yeah. We'll see how long it lasts. And like, did you see North Carolina is like the second ranked recruiting <laughs> class right now? Mac That's Brown, crazy. bringing it back, baby, bringing it back. Oh, Mac never left, baby. Um, <laughs> God, he's just he's tearing it up. Like, and that was he he recruited really well at Texas. He didn't deploy them correctly. I think the the meme is always you know he wanted to turn everybody into a safety, but um, you know God, he's a he's a, he's a good uh, he's a solid pitch man, just like Drinkwitz. Um, and if he's got a staff around him who can utilize these kids correctly, North Carolina could be kind of scary. So I'm impressed. We'll see. I'll buy into it whenever I see it actually happen. But, I mean, they got Agreed. the number one rated recruit at the cornerback position in the country, the number 13 yeah. overall player in all of America to recruit to the uni- or to commit to the University of North Carolina in football. Crazy. So, um, yeah, credit where it's due. The dude is a heck of a recruiter, even if sometimes his uh, on-field coaching leaves a little something to be desired. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, we, I mean, I think right now, if my math is correct, and God, you know, it could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure Missouri's at 80 scholarships right now. So, we, there's one floating out there, and I'm not totally sure how they're going to use it. Um, you know, you, there's really, there's, I don't think there's any JUCOs who are just sitting out there uncommitted. And you can't, it's tough to get a graduate transfer at this point because it's like, can't get him on campus, can't get him in person, can't he travel, all that stuff. Like, there's some good questions. So I'm kind of like, I don't know. We had to be under at 81 or below. We might go through this season at 80, and that seems like, <laughs> I don't know, that seems crazy to me. Yeah, um, it's it's not something I would worry too much about at this point. But, yeah, it, it is crazy given how much, I mean, we've talked about, you got to get below, you got to get below. How are you going to get there? And now it's a question of okay, could 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 you take one more? Is there a way we could maybe get? <laughs> is there another impact receiver that's just kind of floating oh, out there? Man. Grad transfer that decided, ah, eh, you know what? At the last minute, I'd like to go elsewhere. I'd I'd be here for it. I would too, especially if they have some pretty four stars or five stars next to their name. That'd be <laughs> nice. If you had an impact grad transfer, like a an above-average player, right, mm-hmm. at any position that you could add today, other than quarterback. Okay, darn it. What position? <laughs> that's. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What position would you want to add that player at today? Cornerback. Really? Yeah. We have, uh, you know, the success in the secondary and just passing in general is always so reliant on experience. Like you can get super talented young kids out there. Ohio State does it all the time. Alabama does it all the time. But they're glitchy, and when you're glitchy in the secondary, you give up big plays, right? If you could get one other super talented, experienced corner, have him line up opposite Jarvis Ware or Adam Sparks or whoever, 
I would feel so much better about our secondary, especially with Tyree Gillespie and Joshua Bledsoe back there. Like, I would feel so much better about our secondary and our defense overall. Where I mean, where would you where would you take them? Defensive end. Like, well, okay, yes. <laughs> just yes. just give me a pass rusher, <laughs> please. Do you not have faith that Trey Williams is going to make a leap or Jatorian Hansford? I mean, should I? I don't know. Should we? <laughs> Michael Sam did it. Coney Ely did it. Yeah, but Coney Ely, I guess maybe that's probably the one to look at for Trey. But Coney showed flashes throughout his career. He did. Um, and he showed flashes, especially as a junior that um, – or uh, the year prior that he could play inside and really do some – create some havoc from inside. Yeah. I, I, I don't – I don't know that I've seen that from any of the guys on the roster right now. So I I would go defensive end just because then I have a sure thing. Like And then if one of those two that you just mentioned has a great season, well, awesome. Now I've got two of them that can be successful at, as bookends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's probably where I would go with that. Although I could listen to an argument for somewhere on the offensive line as well. Just to add to a little bit of a strength with your running game. Really good tackle. Yeah, you know? I could see that as being being something that would be worthwhile as well. It, yeah. I say all that to say this: they've got a few holes that they could they could be able they to do. patch over. That'd be nice. They do certainly not running back, <laughs> and, and we would all take quarterback. So you know that's that's off the table though. So that's okay. Well, um, all right. So we've got. Uh, I, I'm continuing my preview series because I haven't been told to stop yet. Um, so the next two that we got up are, well, we're going to go to Kentucky, Kentucky. God, uh, before we jump into Kentucky, BK, I, I got a, I got a question for you and it's, it's going to come across as loaded, but you, you just give me the answer that you got. Okay. When you, when you think of Missouri football in the SEC year to year, like let's say a 10 year period, what would you expect from the Missouri Tigers over a 10 year period? Is it a number of winning seasons? Is it a number of bowl games or running, you know, contending for the division, contending for New Year's Six? Like in your mind, what what do you think Missouri football should be at its apex, realistic so, apex? Yeah, so I've always said this, uh, over a 10 year period, Missouri football should make a bowl game every year in that 10 year period. Like that's the bare minimum. Um, and then within that, I've always looked at it because I, and maybe I do this just because of the way that things went under Pinkle, but I kind of look at it as like four year increments. Um, and so within that, like once every four years, you should have a team that can contend for a division title. Um, and then one other year within that four years. So basically half of the four. So two out of those four years, you should have a team that can contend to the point of getting like, if all things kind of go their way, nine and maybe 10 wins. Um, so I think on a typical season, you should expect six and six, seven and five in your good seasons, eight and four, nine and three. Um, Mm -hmm. and in your great seasons, 10 and two, if everything breaks your way, maybe 11 and one and fighting for that division title. So that's kind of the way that I've always looked at Mizzou football. I agree. I agree. And it drives me crazy that Kentucky is currently doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, get rid of Mark Stoops first, really his first two years when he was rebuilding that roster completely from the debacle that was Joker Phillips. His first year was 2-10. and 10. That's when uh, DGB just went bonkers on the Kentucky secondary and scored four That was touchdowns. incredible. Love that game. Uh, we're going to discount that Kentucky team. It really discounted 2014, too. Uh, they went 5-7. and seven. There, was, there was massive improvement, but they were not quite where they wanted to be. 
really 2015 is when it started taking off. Um, and it was another five and seven year, but then it was seven and six, then seven and six, then 10 and three in 2018 and flirting with Georgia with the division. And then last year was a quote unquote step back and they still went eight and five. And so that is Kentucky is what Missouri should be, except the Kentucky athletic administration is realistic with what they know this team is. They know that they are a football program at a basketball school. So they let Mark Stoops basically have infinite time to do whatever he needs to do. I don't know, BK, if the NFL does anything like this, and I haven't heard it at any other college coach level, but did you know that when Mark Stoops wins seven games in a year, his contract is automatically extended by one year? Have you heard of anything like that before? I've heard of that, I, I want to say, in college basketball. Um, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, Conzo Martin had a clause similar where if he made, really? like, the... In- I'll have to go back and look at it, but I, I think it was if he makes, like, the tournament, he gets, like, guaranteed years or so- something like hmm. that. I, I want to go back and make sure that I'm not speaking out of turn sure. there. Um, yeah. But I thought I remember something similar to that being the case. Well, it's it's brilliant for a school like Kentucky where the expectations are pretty low. Um, it's not the most popular sport um, in the school, even though it's the most popular sport in your conference. It just makes a lot of sense. It gives whatever coach that's there time to figure it out. There's no pressure. There's no panic moves. There's no like massive expectations that you consistently undercut. It's just... Hey man, get yourself to seven wins. Get us to a bowl game, basically. And if you do that, we'll keep you around. And I gotta imagine, at least from a college football coach standpoint, that has to be a huge breath of fresh air um, and a lot of f- freedom, you know, to, to do crazy things. Like he hired Eddie Grand out of Cincinnati, which most people would not take. Eddie Grand is not the best offensive coordinator he's just really good at a specific skill set and that's what Kentucky's been good at running the ball and doing damn near wing T offense in, in the modern SEC um, his defense has always been three four based you know but he's pulling kids from Ohio right he's get, stepping outside the SEC giving Ohio kids an opportunity to play in the SEC and build those pipelines build those relationships find those kids and not have to worry about running into Alabama and LSU and Florida just bring those kids in And it took five years, but it's working, and it's going to continue to work. And they always beat Missouri, and I hate them. But BK, I respect them so much, and it makes me sad. I understand where you're coming from. Um, Can I tell you where it goes south a little bit for me in terms of, like, if you are – I don't know if you're doing this, but if you are trying to make the comparison between what Kentucky did in sticking with – um, Stoops and what Missouri mm-hmm. didn't do in mm-hmm. sticking with Barry Odom. I, I felt the undertones there. Maybe I was wrong in, in reading no, into no. that a little bit. Um, no. Here's here's what falls flat for me. Um, here's the recruiting class rankings at Kentucky under Stoops. Uh, yep. 35, 28, 26, 30, 30, 21. That's since 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Odom, since 2016... 47, 49, 39, 34. Mm-hmm. He never cracked the top 30. And every year since 2016, Stoops has been within 
the top 30. So if you're going to show signs of progress, which they did by recruiting, because those are the kids that are eventually going to be your future, you deserve to have a longer leash in showing what you can do once those kids get on campus. Odom never showed that. He never showed the ability to have a top 30 class. And so if you don't show it, then how do I believe that you become a top 30 program um, which is what Kentucky has basically become, because if you're doing this in the SEC, you're you're essentially a top 30 program-ish nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, there was really no reason to believe in terms of the recruiting or, at least in my opinion, on-field product from Barry Odom uh, that that was going to be the case with him at Mizzou. So that would be my pushback there. And sure. I do think that is what's different with Drinkwitz in charge is right now there's legitimate reason to believe he can maybe do exactly what we're seeing from Stoops at Kentucky. If he continues recruiting like this, that's the trajectory. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that should be the hope moving forward is not only that you become Kentucky, but maybe that you become the best possible version of what Kentucky is doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. And and part of me is, yes, there was some, some almost overtones to Odom there. I understand that. But it's also just on expectations. In understanding where you are in the pecking order, like I'm not, M- Missouri is not a basketball school right now. I mean, they were when I was a kid, but they're really not in any school. They're just a have a sport be good school. So <laughs> yeah, like expectations are all over the place, and they're just looking for some some reason to believe. But even then, I, and I've, I've said this before, Missouri fans are the best at giving five dollars and expecting fifty back. Like they, there's not a whole lot of momentum. Uh, some grassroots momentum with the fan base uh, or that support that other SEC teams have. Uh, And it's not because they're distracted by basketball. It's because we're just distracted human beings, I guess. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that you have a culture, an identity, and then a long-term plan, and then rally behind that and support that. If you have an athletic program or or a fan base that's clamoring for 10 wins, but not showing up to half your games or not donating the way they used to, well, guess what kind of product you're going to get? You're going to get what you see, what you've seen in the past four years. So it's, it's part of fans, it's part of the administration, but it's understanding that, hey, if you are comfortable with who you are and you are realistic in what this program can do, which is what you're talking about, getting to a bowl, challenging for something more every four years or so, that is what Missouri can be. Get them there. And if you do that, then you start seeing the support and the dollars and everything like that. But you're, you're right. Recruiting is part of that. And then it's identity on both sides of the ball and then tactically deploying these kids correctly to get those wins. And so far we've seen that. So I feel like we could be the next Kentucky, which, oh, my God, rewind the clock to 2011. <laughs> Can you imagine that we're talking about this? That's crazy. No. no. Um, I, I will say this. And first of all, I agree with everything you just said. Like there, there's, I don't think there's any way for people to disagree with it, but I'm sure there will be some that are frustrated by the fact that um, there, there are at least some undertones there of Mizzou fans are a little um, expecting more than what they actually are, uh, and, and I, I, I get that to an extent from Mizzou fans of being frustrated by anybody saying that, but it, there, there's some truth to it. Like let's be honest, we, we expect more than maybe what the program probably is going to be on a typical year. That being said. Neither here nor there. Let's set that to the side. Do you know the last time Mizzou beat Kentucky on the football field? 2014. That's a problem. That's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) 
Barry Odom got himself fired by never beating Kentucky. Like, the yep. po- point blank period, that's how he got himself fired. He got yep. himself fired by the ridiculous nonsense that happened in 2018. He got himself fired by last year's debacle in Lexington. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's how he ended up getting fired. Let's be honest here. And if you don't beat Kentucky in games that are essentially bellwether games, similar to what we've seen against South Carolina, that's mm-hmm. that's how you know. That's how you know that the coach isn't going to last a whole lot longer here at Mizzou. I completely agree. And, you know, we we've, we talked when we, when we previewed Vanderbilt. I said that that's the first quote-unquote test where Drinkwitz and Mizzou need to beat Vanderbilt and say, hey, this is not last year. This is this is not that at all. So that's the first thing they gotta do. The second thing they gotta do is they gotta they gotta beat Kentucky. They have to. We've lost five straight to these guys. <laughs> they are essentially a peer program, even though they they do recruit better than we do, at least in the past five years. But that is a program that you should be going 50-50 with, not have a five-game losing streak. <laughs> so this is, you know, if this is a toss-up game or a swing game, like we call it. Yes, it is, but to really maintain the momentum, any momentum that this team is going to have in 2020, you have to beat the Wildcats. You have to. I agree. They also don't have a quarterback that I think is any good. Um, No, he's not. Speaking of Kentucky, and they have a new defensive coordinator when last year their defensive coordinator – No, it's the same one. Two years ago, excuse me. Two years ago they got a new defense coordinator. My apologies. I – I don't just beat them. <laughs> like, yeah, beat them. Beat them. Let's yeah. not make this more difficult than it needs to be. I'm with you. Yes. They 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 need to beat Kentucky in 2020. And this has been this has been the stumbling block in recent years for Mizzou. Um I don't care if it's 7 to 6. I don't care if it's a repeat of that horrendous Yukon game that we saw. I said this about <laughs> Vandy. I will say it again yeah. about this game. Just find a way to win, man. Just find yeah. a way to win. It's got to happen. Man. Ugh. Well, so that's going to be what it's going to be. That's that's okay. But, but, right after Kentucky, Missouri gets an interesting test against Mississippi State. Hate this game. Now, BK, you're going to you're gonna have to kind of really stretch your memory here. Remember back when you were in first grade and the Tigers played Texas Tech in 2007 and uh, just beat the hell out of Michael Crabtree and I think held him to 10 points put up 38 and like that was the oh my god this this defense is legit do you remember that game at all I do yeah 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 that was a Mike Leach Texas Tech team in fact Gary Pinkle went three and one against Mike Leach while Mike Leach was winning eight nine games a year in the Big 12 South, challenging for the Big 12 South title for two years. Like, it is, he was criminally underrated at Texas Tech. Now, he's a big old weirdo, and he's getting oddly crotchety in his older years and less and less entertaining and more annoying. But the dude... Being more of himself, in other words. You know what? Yeah, <laughs> let's call it that. He's feeling himself. He's becoming the full-form Mike Leach. But whatever he is as far as opinions and talk, the dude can make a team out of the most podunk areas in the college football world. 
He made Texas Tech a power, at least in regional power. He made Washington State win 11 games with the best offense he's ever had with Gardner Minshew. And I got to think that he's going to do the same at Mississippi State, but I don't think he's going to do it this year. What do you think? I don't think he's going to win like eight or nine games this year at Mississippi State. I agree with you there. Um, That being said, I think he's going to have this program on the rise sooner rather than later. We saw this at Washington State. We saw it at Texas Tech. Everywhere he's ever been, he ends up winning. He finds a way to recruit at a level that's not particularly inspiring like if you looked at Barry Odom's recruiting classes those look nice compared to what he's done (laughs) at Texas Tech and Washington State but he wins he has a system Mm -hmm. that works he gets the most out of his quarterback and I said this whenever Mizzou was going through its hiring cycle this most recent one just give me a coach that can get the most out of their quarterback like I don't care who that guy is whoever you deem that to be Find the coach that makes the quarterback into a a successful quarterback, no matter who it is, and hire that guy. Go get him, Mm -hmm. because that's what college football has become. That's what football has become, really, at any level. Mike Leach does that. He goes out and gets Gardner Minshew, and then Gardner Minshew becomes one of the most productive quarterbacks in all of college football after being a nobody for the first four (laughs) years of his career. And then suddenly now he's popped up as a starting quarterback in the NFL. He was a Mike Leach creation at Washington State in 2018. So I say all that to say this. Mike Leach is a really, really, really good football coach, and I don't know how many games they're going to win this year at Mississippi State. But I know they're going to be able to put up some points. I know they're going to be at least a solid offense, probably a surprising offense. And whenever Mizzou uh, plays them this season, I'm not looking forward to the game because I know (laughs) he's going to get the most out of whatever his team is this season. Yeah. It is interesting that he's inheriting this team as it's currently constructed. Because they don't have a – I mean, they have a quarterback, but he brought in KJ, KJ Costello from Stanford. Um, they don't really have any talented wide receivers, but that's never been an issue. It's just, it's such a, anybody can step in, catch a ball and make a play. Right. But his biggest weapon is, uh, is Kyron Hill, who I know I think is, is probably a little bit more famous right now for his offseason activism than yeah. for what he did. But he's the SEC's returning leading rusher. And I don't think he's going to be leading the SEC in rushing this year. <laughs> he might from yard in yards for scrimmage though. Um, could, if could. you look at any Mike Leach offenses, he's, he's not a huge guy when it comes to passing to the running back, but he he's does not. do it. Um, yeah. And he's always said, and I, I think it's one thing that I love about his offenses, he said he doesn't view balance as being run pass, right? Because right. if you look at it that way, you're just giving the ball to one player 20 times a game, right? And he says, that's not balance. I'm giving it to him 20 times, and I'm giving it to my star receiver six times. That's not balance. Balance is getting it to your running back 12 times in a game, getting it, targeting that wide receiver 12 times, targeting Mm -hmm. your, uh, your slot receiver 12 times. And that's, that's the way that he views it is Mm -hmm. by targeting certain players as opposed to run pass. And I think we could see something like that this year for Kylan Hill. Maybe instead of getting 15 carries a game, he ends up getting something closer to, nine carries and six targets this year right because he deems that he's one of his best weapons so i I think we could see something closer to that yeah i mean you know quick math here um he had 242 carries uh from scrimmage so i mean gosh you know that's like 
20 a game, 20, basically. Yeah, something something like 20, yeah. He didn't. He was not active in the passing game last year, but they didn't ask him to be. Um, he was certainly not Saquon Barkley back there. Um, but he was he was good with the with the rock in his hands. So, you know, eighteen catches for one hundred eighty yards is not bad. It's just small sample size. So, yeah, maybe he does just get more active in the passing game. But the the thing about Leach offense is, is that it's really easy to install, but it just takes a lot of repetition. Like Mike Leach mm-hmm. practices are notorious for just, you know. QB one, two, and three just on the twenty, and then every receiver just stacked up behind him running, you know, run your one route, run your nine route, run your eight route, and like just going through the whole tree, quarterback calls it and just over, bam, over, bam, over, bam, over and over and over again, just to get that rhythm. That's all they do. And then they get into the game and it's a quick pre-snap read. And it's a little bubble here or a hitch there or you know, a slant here, and just go make a play, receiver, just go. And so it's an efficiency-based passing game where it's like three yards, four yards, three yards, four yards, and then somebody busts to play for 80, and then that's it. So it, it's not complicated. It's not hard, but you need those reps, and Mississippi State's not going to have that all that much this offseason. Maybe by the time we get to them, they will, but you know, it's a lot of freshmen who will be seeing the field on the receiving end. It's a running back who isn't super familiar with, with catching the ball, and it's probably going to be a brand-new quarterback um, a good one, but but one who was at Stanford last year. So offensively, I, I don't think they'll get there. But, yeah, Leach teams are always dangerous with the ball. Yeah, they, they scare me um, for, for all the reasons that we've discussed. And it, it could be a situation where it just doesn't come together in year one because of everything that's happened this offseason and the, the, the pandemic that has happened globally, frankly. But um, they're, they're a team that, as we get to that point, I wouldn't be surprised if going into that week's game, I pick Mizzou to lose that. Actually, I would probably anticipate <laughs> that I'm going to do that. Yeah, um, yeah. Just because it, everything that I hope Eli Drinkwitz is in terms of his offensive mind and what he can do on the offensive side of the ball is what I know Mike Leach is. Um, yeah. And so that's that's kind of the way that I view that game right now. Is just like what I, I hope that Eli Drinkwitz, Drinkwitz becomes – in that way, and very specifically in that way, what we already know <laughs> um, Mississippi State's coach to be in Mike Leach. Yeah. I mean, it's both of these teams are going to be super young. Mississippi State has advantages over what we perceive to be Missouri's current strengths. So I, I would do not feel good about it either, especially with Mississippi State. If Zach Arnett, their defensive coordinator, if he brings the 3-3-5 or the three-stack defense, that's something that gives a lot of offenses fits because you don't see it all that often, and it's really good at clouding the passing lanes. It's really good at hiding, um, hiding pass rushes. So it's it's a tricky defense. You can you can figure it out. You know it's it's light on big dudes, so you can you can bust some holes. But it's very complicated. It's what San Diego State ran in 2010 when we almost lost to them, um, which Zach Arnett was on that staff. So you get the kind of you can understand why I'm a little bit hesitant about what they can do, especially with SEC athletes on defense. But mm-hmm. um, you know, young teams ideally get a little bit better as time goes on. So they'll both have some experience. But this is, yeah, swing game again right after Kentucky. <laughs> um, it's just, <laughs> if you want to go bowling, you got to win this one. And it's 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 going to be tough. It's going to be tough. And if you want to look at it on the bright side of things, silver lining, you've got a bye week between those two, between Kentucky and Mississippi State. So um, yeah. that could help. And we don't know how 
Eli Drinkwitz handles a bye at this point in his coaching career. We uh-huh. kind of knew how that went with Barry Odom for the most part. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> not particularly well. So hopefully it goes better under the new regime. So, uh, BK, I got uh, we got to talk about something here, man. Uh, since we last recorded, stuff has gone down. Um, What's I know, What's going on, man? Well, everything well, good. You know, you know, man, it's not. And and okay. I know, like on this show, this shtick is you know you're you're more positive and I'm more um, <clears throat> realistic. Um, but even with your positivity, <laughs> which realistic. I'm trying to subs- <laughs> which I'm trying to subscribe to. <laughs> Um, we have got some announcements. The Ivy League has decided to not play football this fall. Until the spring, right? For spring, correct. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, awesome. We got football. Yeah, yeah, okay. So then the Big Ten, uh, after the Ivy League made their announcement, the Big Ten decided we're not going to play a non-conference schedule. But we still play conference? We do play conference games. Okay, awesome, cool, cool. We got football, sweet, good. Still have football, yes. Now, we don't know kind of what anyone else is going to do. Maybe the ACC does the same thing. The SEC met in person yesterday to decide, let's decide later. Um, but we have... You so know, did the SEC rise- today. <laughs> yeah, we've got rising cases um, all over the, the college campuses. We've got students who are probably... A lot of students and a lot of campuses who will be doing online only. Um and we are in a situation where a lot of people are thinking that either a college football season doesn't happen flat out b it gets pushed to the spring or c we only play conference games and i'm telling you i will take c over b every day of the week and i'll take anything over a uh where we just cancel it flat out but kind of the tea leaves are trending towards oh People are realizing this is a lot worse than what we thought it was because we've not made any progress on getting better as a society. Any, what's your first thought on this whole thing? So, my first thought is this: um, I want to read a little something from Iowa State's athletic director, if you would allow me. Oh to do yes, so. yes, Lear. Because yesterday, Iowa State's AD sent out an open letter to the public. Because there were a lot of people questioning, why are you even trying to play a college football season? Like, this is ridiculous. There's a global pandemic taking place. Can't you guys realize that this is not going to be safe and there's no reason for you to do so? And he was very honest and open about exactly why this needs to happen from their perspective. So here are a few quotes that I've pulled out from his letter. The first one, quote, If we are unable to play sports this fall, the athletic department would incur approximately $40 million in unfunded expenses in the next six months. End quote. The next one. Quote, the financial disruption caused by not having a football season would have an overwhelming negative impact on the safety and well-being of 475 student-athletes we support. The revenue generated by the department is necessary by uh, to provide the academic, medical, nutritional, and athletic support that is relied upon by our student-athletes. And finally, the last quote that I would like to read. Some people have suggested that we simply play fall sports in the spring when the challenges of COVID-19 should be reduced. Unfortunately, 
there are no guarantees that things do improve in the spring, and there are numerous hurdles to overcome. The most significant challenge is committing another six months of operational costs, which for Iowa State is roughly $40 million for the fall semester with no revenues to actually cover those expenses, end quote. All of that, again, coming from Iowa State's athletic director. Basically, what he's saying is, we got $40 million on the line, boys and girls. And when $40 million for one program is on the line, and again, one program is on the line, and we're not talking about Alabama, we're not talking about USC, we're not talking about Texas, where they spend more money on their football program. We're talking about Iowa State. But let's just assume that everybody is spending $40 million that they have in terms of expenditures that they won't be able to cover if they don't play football this fall. Let's go with just the Big 12 since that's the Iowa, uh, Iowa State's conference. That would be $400 million in the Big 12 operating at that much of a loss. The SEC, I can't even imagine what it would be. The Big 10, I can't imagine what it would be. The Pac-12, same thing. The, there is so much money on the line for these conferences, for these schools, for these athletic departments in particular, that they are going to do everything humanly possible to be able to play college football this year. These administrators, their jobs might be on the line as a result of it. The infrastructure of college athletics as we know it might be on the line. And I'm not being dramatic here. This is what they're getting at in this letter. Everything is paid for by football taking place in the fall. And if it can't, if they can't play football this fall, everything is in play. Everything. I wrote an article about this for Rock M Nation last week, but if they don't play football this fall, like eliminating a ton of sports is on the line for these places. Reducing the salaries for coaches is on the line. Reducing the number of coaches is on the line. Eliminating certain scholarships is on. Everything is in play if they don't play football this fall. So what does it all mean? I know that you're going to say that this is me being optimistic, but I think they're going to play football this fall because I think they're going to find a way to figure out a way to do it, even if it means striking at the core of what is college athletics and saying if what it takes to play this fall is losing out on amateurism, we're willing to make that trade because that's what we have to do to be able to keep up college athletics as we know it. End of rant. That's where I see it. <laughs> I 100% agree with you with the fact that they are going to try, work, put effort into having a season. Fall of 2020. You are absolutely right. My question for you is how many players and or coaches die to make the season Stop. What is that number? So I think the only people that are going to play, um, and this is an important part of this, if I had to guess as to what this is going to look like in the fall, I think it's only Power 5 conferences that play football. Um, and the reason why I say that is because everything is driven by TV. And the Power 5 conferences have massive, massive TV revenues on the line. 
other conferences might be able to get away with not playing this fall and either pushing it to the spring or finding a way to make things work. I, I don't know how they're going to do it, but the money that is on the line in Power 5 conferences is just so significantly higher than anybody else. Um, and so that's really who I'm talking about here. But if you've got those five power conferences, and that's what, 65, 70 schools, um, mm-hmm. I think they will allow kids to opt out if they deem that they don't want to play. Um, I think that's pro- that's what all of the pro sports have done, and I, I would guess that that's what the college sports will do as well. Um, there are obviously differences in terms of the power that student athletes have compared to professional athletes, where professional athletes are in under contracts, and so they have security long-term. Scholarships are year-to-year. How will individual coaches handle a player opting out of the season? I don't know. And that's a real question that needs to have real answers. Maybe they have to say, if you opt out this year, you are guaranteed your scholarship next year. I, I don't know what they're going to have to do, but there's, there's going to have to be some negotiating that happens there. Um, as to answer the question that you asked, um, and it is a fair one, even though some people will squirm at the fact that you asked it, I think if one were to pass away, that's, first of all, already too many. Um, mm-hmm. And second of all, that would do it. I think it would be a Rudy Gobert moment in the NBA where we realized, Mm. oh my God, we can't be doing this right now. And that was the day that everything was shut down. And 24 hours later, sports as we know it were shut down completely after Rudy Gobert tested positive in the NBA. Um, And I think we would see something similar in college football if the most tragic of all possible consequences were to take place. Um, So that's where I come at from this. I mean, if you go off of America's death rate on COVID and you assume that there are 120 players on each team for the Power Five conferences, that's 7,680 players, not counting coaches and staff, which are older. But with the current death rate at those ages, you would expect six players to die, just if, if that held true. Now, obviously, yeah. it's not the same demographic. These are younger, healthier peak of their powers kind of kids but if that holds true it'd be six you know as far as coaches you know god they, these players come off the field and the coaches get right up in their face and start talking about what's happening <laughs> so I, these, these coaches are 50 60 years old absolutely yeah, are I, they wearing I, face masks or social distancing are they going to get it like it, it just there's there's so much risk in playing the season that I know, I know that they're going to do everything they can. They're going to put all the precautions in that they need to, but it's going to cost, it's going to take one person dying and they're going to shut it down. Exactly. Like you said. And then maybe even worse than not having a season is we get two games into a season and then we go, Nope. And we yank it away. And then we have the psychological crushing effect of we had it and we lost it. In all those economies and all those college towns that were saying, yo, it's going to happen, don't have it. And all those athletic pros are going, yeah, we can do it, don't have it. And they risked all these kids, they had someone die because they tried to do it anyway. And that kind of hit, that kind of morale hit, or psychological hit on a country could be devastating. Totally understand where you're coming from, and you're right. Um, I... I'm talk. I'm telling you what I would assume that athletic directors are discussing right now. Sure. Um, and this is this is what they're going through. Like they should have somebody like you in the room. They should because if they don't, they're doing their ro- they're doing their job wrong. 
because mm-hmm. they need to hear, here's the worst case scenario. Here's the best case scenario and everything in between, right? Like they, they need to know all of these things before deciding on what the ultimate path forward is. Um, what, what I would just say is this. They, I would hope, are putting every possible protocol into place. Um, is it possible to make this 100% safe? No, it's not. And I'm not going to lie to you and suggest that it is. I would also say that we have seen fewer positive tests since these kids have been on campus than we did when they returned to campus. And that's not me saying that they've eliminated any risk because they have it. And it's impossible to do so in the, in the current situation and the current, current climate that we have in America. But if they are basically just going to and from the facilities and I'm assuming most of them will be taking online classes this fall because that's what a lot of the classes are going to be <laughs> yeah. at Missouri. That's what they do fall. anyway, so like it's not all that different for them. Yeah, so if that's the case, um, they're going to try to make it as safe of an environment as possible. It's the same thing as when I go to work every day right now. Am I 100% safe going to work every day? No, I'm not. And there's no way for my employer to make it 100% without question. There's never going to be any issues that arise. Now, Mm -hmm. my job is very different than strapping up a football helmet and going out and hitting another dude right in front of me and sweating on each other and all of those different things, right? Those, Mm -hmm. Those are different scenarios. But they also have millions of dollars that are put into these protocols, I would assume, to try to make it as as safe as humanly possible. Um, and that's, that's the way they're going to try to rationalize this. And mm-hmm. I will leave it to the audience to say whether they agree or disagree with the decision to do so. Um, I would just tell you that in my best estimation, I think they're going to, even if it ends up being the wrong call. And you can first guess them now. You can second guess them later. I totally understand that. Um, but I, I, I'm just trying to present where they're likely coming from right now. And I think that's what we're ultimately going to see. I agree. I think they're absolutely going to do everything they can to have a, to have a season. With, it, with everything that you talked about, you're right. So let's assume that it is. Let's assume that we're going to have a season. And let's also assume that the SEC eliminates non-con. Let's just... Let's just get that out of the way. I I don't – we talked about this, I think, about a month ago, about the costs of testing everybody, you know, the players, let alone coaches and the support staff. I mean, these tests are 100 bucks. You know, if you have to do it multiple times a day, multiple days a week, like, I'm sorry, group of five programs can't do that. So if you can't guarantee that your opponents – are going to be testing at the same rate and consistency that you are, then I'd assume that to control the risks like you're talking about, not to make it 100% safe, but to control as much as you can, I'm going to say, I'm sorry, we can't. Or unless, I guess, if the Power 5 programs pay for it, but no way. Um, so let's just assume that non-con is eliminated. So BK, we're sitting here with a with a conference-only schedule. And I think it that's the best way to go about it anyway because let's see here there are one two three four so there are nine saturdays in this october and november um yeah nine and uh, nine saturdays between october and november okay so you could conceivably you could delay the season until october 3rd if you needed to 
that might be something that they do where they say, hey, look, we know it's still hot and we still know that cases are rising. Um, we're going to just keep practicing through September and then start the season in October. And, you know, you can remove three games, four games, whatever you need to do, and then just play your conference schedule. Just a or, reminder, they, they're not going to play the last weekend of uh, November either. Um, just because, that's right. I mean, all, yeah. all, all campuses basically across the country have said, listen, the semester goes through, the, I believe it's the week before Thanksgiving. Um, yep. That's when they're going to be taking their finals. And then everybody goes home before Thanksgiving because of the fear. And we, we don't know what's going to happen, but the projections um, the, show a fear of the second wave happening right around that time. So they, they won't go that deep into November either. True. So you could you could do just your conference schedule. Which, you know, again, for, for all you keeping track at home, if you are Missouri in 2020, the conference schedule goes Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Florida, Arkansas. I think that they would, would tack two more on, by the way. I think they, I would, think go to they 10. would too. Right. Yeah, take it to 10. You could do that. Now, you would still have to play in September, but you could bring in. Well, I don't want to bring these guys in, but in Alabama or in LSU or at Texas A&M, um, I think A&M has a bye the same week that Missouri does, so that would be a pairing that you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, at this point, do you want division? Keep in mind, if we do conference only, they're going to do division games first in case they have to shut the season down early so they can decide who wins the division so they can still do a – conference championship game which again is a money maker mm-hmm. um, and do that so do you want to do division only or you know do you want to expand it to 10 games what's your ideal scenario here i mean the ideal scenario is you play the 10 games um but we're not dealing in an ideal world right by the way i uh, just looked this up because i i remember reading about this um the nba is paying more than 150 million dollars for their operating costs to play their season at walt disney world now Jesus. how much of that specifically is the test i don't i don't have that calculation um, but I know it's costing them $150 million to be able to finish their season. And that's over basically three months, but you got to remember, I think it's like half of the teams are going to be gone after the first two weeks because of the right. way that their playoffs work. So, right. um, the, every week thereafter, they're basically eliminating more teams. Um, so $150 million is what the NBA is playing or paying to be able to resume their season. A lot of that I would imagine is, is from testing and college football obviously has yeah. far more people that will be involved mm-hmm. in that testing. Uh, back to your question. I think they're going to try to play 10 games. And I think the way that they will set it up is, like you said, they'll they'll probably have your six division games at the beginning, and then they'll tack on probably your first two um, interdivision games will be the two that you had previously scheduled, and then your last two will be the other two that you add on. I wouldn't worry about how the schedule sets up right now because I would imagine they're going to bring a full new schedule together. I I don't think anything that you see right now is real. Um, I think all of it can be redone if necessary. Will that make some coaches frustrated by the fact that they've had this advanced (laughs) scouting done for specific teams all year? Absolutely no question about it. But Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of people that have been frustrated that we don't get 162 games of baseball this year. There are people that will be (laughs) frustrated by the fact that other non-revenue sports are either not played or are drastically delayed this year. So all Mm -hmm. of this is less than ideal. But I think that's what we're going to see. A new 10-game schedule, 
against the SEC with the first six games coming against your division. If you do 10 games, you can actually do two-game bursts, right, where you go two games and then a week off, two games and a week off, two games and a week. You could do that. Yeah, yeah, you could do that for the entire schedule as it's currently constructed if you start on time. Now, I yeah. don't know if that's what they want to do or not, but that would be good for COVID-related stuff, just, you know, just <laughs> recovering from injuries and stuff like that. So um, that can be done. I, I this is this is a downer topic and it's bumming me out, but I, I do want to I want to try and have some fun with this because my <laughs> mind was thinking like, okay, so so we're doing conference only because it's we can control the tests and like conceivably the teams you're playing are pretty close to you. Yeah, now that it does in the protocols. The, the biggest thing is the protocols. You can agree right. upon a set of rules that everybody is abiding by. Right. Exactly. So you that's that's the biggest one, but it's also just regionality. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of picking on the regionality thing because I think Nebraska plays Maryland, which not region. <laughs> like we're not doing that. Well, like but Rutgers if, is going to play yeah, Minnesota. Like, like, <laughs> but what if what if we did only regional games? Blow up mm. the conferences, blow up the divisions. This is a weird ass season anyway. Let's let's embrace it fully. Let's have Missouri, Illinois meet in St. Louis. Let's have Missouri, Kansas meet in Kansas City. Let's have Missouri play Iowa and then Arkansas and then Kansas State and um, I don't know, Nebraska. Like let's just let's just pick teams that are within like you know a couple hundred miles of us or like a, a neutral site a couple hundred miles between and just play the guys at the Power Five level that can get there the quickest without having to fly. You play Louisville. Uh, Louisville, yeah, Memphis. You well, that's Iowa, no, sorry, that's G five. Nebraska, I- Iowa State. Yeah, I, I I'm here for this. I I am very much here for this. That being said, uh, there's really no reason to play them on neutral sites because there's gonna be no fans. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> you true, might as well true, have true. one of them meet in the other place. Um, yeah. Just that way you could save travel for at least one team each week. That being yeah. said, I'm I'm here for the idea. I like the concept of. Just embrace the regionality, embrace the the close proximity of it. But uh, the the real reason why they would be doing this to kind of go back to the protocols is the protocols. It would be everybody within the SEC, just to kind of localize this again to Mizzou, everybody within the SEC agrees to the same 112-page document that says this is what you have to abide by every day that you go to the football stadium. Whenever you have your workouts, you have to do X, Y, and Z to get into the stadium. You have to do X, Y, and Z to be able to go into the locker room. And then once you go onto the football field, here's what it is required that it looks like. Here's how many times a week you have to be tested. Here's where you are tested. Here's the place where we are sending those tests to get your results. Here's the time that will be allotted to receive those results for you to be back on the field. Like, I know that sounds like a lot, but that's what it will be required for them to have this football season take place this year. They are so far behind the eight ball. And this is one thing that is a little frustrating to me, honestly, Nate, is what the hell have they been doing? Like, (laughs) what your only job has been, how do we make the football season work? How do we have this happen? And if you're the SEC and you're the athletic directors and this like snuck up on you somehow, well, where have you been since March? What have you been doing all this time? And if you didn't know that it was going to be this bad, well, why the hell did you not know that? (laughs) It's, It's been bad in America for four months now. 
What did you do with your time? Why do you not have the protocol set up? Why do you not have anything in place to be able to figure out what this season is going to look like? It's baffling to me, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting, and today they kicked the can down the road again to the end of July, Mm -hmm. and then you Mm -hmm. have even less time to be able to decide what the season actually looks like. So it's very frustrating to me, all of this. Um because they understand what is on the line if they don't play this season, and all of them are using the plan of hope. They're hoping yeah. and praying that the season's going to be fine and that everything's going to disappear by the time that college football season takes place, and it's not going to. It's not realistic. There are going to be issues that arise both before and during the college football season, and they need to plan accordingly. This is where the NCAA fails. Mm-hmm. There is no... There's no czar. There's no one who enforces anything. NCAA makes guidelines. But it's it's like each conference was just saying, oh, well, it'll fix itself out. We don't have to do anything. And that's that's where they left it, which is asinine. You didn't get to where you were by sitting around waiting for things to happen for you. All of these athletic directors are hard workers. They're smart dudes. They should have had all of these things in place by April, just in case. And they've done nothing. And I understand that it's all regional and conference-based, but you can pick up the phone and talk to you know, Jack Swarbrick, you can talk to Greg Sankey, talk to Larry Scott. Any of you guys can talk to each other. I'm sure there's some slack room somewhere where they can chat. Oh, this sucks. You know, like, and just chat it out. Like, come on, come on. You can do this. And no one, no one did anything. So that is very disappointing. I, a couple of things that come from this. I hope number one, that we do have a centralized command at some point, blow up the NCAA, put somebody in charge. That's an adult who can not only make guidelines, but enforce them. Uh, and then number two, and this kind of goes back into the fun aspect, if we don't have non-conference games, even if we do a 10-game schedule, let alone just the division schedule, do we expand the playoff for this season? I think so that, I think you can I mean, see an eight-team playoff. Eight teams makes the most sense. Um, you have the five Power Five conference winners and then three at-large bids. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. I, I think at a very minimum, you've, you've got to make it somehow that the conference winners get in. Um, yes, and from there, absolutely. if you just want one more team as an at-large, make it the one team. I don't care. But it, th- that's the only way you can make this even close to resembling anything of a meritocracy is if you mm-hmm. win your conference, you're in the college football playoff. That being said... And I don't even know if there's going to be a college football playoff. So you have to have it in <laughs> place yeah. just in case you are able to get there. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it very well may be a moot point. I could. But, God, if we get all five conference champions and, and at large or three others, not saying it would be worth it, but, oh, my God, that'd be awesome. That's how the playoff should be. I agree. That that's I've said all along. I think an eight team playoff makes the most sense. The five mm-hmm. five conference winners, and then you add in the three teams that were clearly the other three best in the country. Every mm-hmm. year, it's going to be really hard for you to argue for that ninth team, whoever it may be. Because if you're not one of the top eight, come on. Like I, I don't need to hear your argument as to why you should have gone to the national championship game. It, I, I could go through the history of college football, and I can't imagine there's a whole lot of teams that would have a great case for that. Well, that ninth team, you know that ninth team would be a G5. A Boise, an App State, a Houston back when they were good. Like, And it would be legit. Like, come on. <laughs> Central, UCF, like, you know they would. that would be the ninth spot. And, oh, my God. That is a debate for later, but we'll, we'll, we'll figure <laughs> it out then. But a um, lot, of, lot of potential quirks for this season. And, um, I, I, again, I am with you. 
they are going to do everything they can to have a season. I don't know how long it's going to last. I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but God damn it, they're going to do it. And whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing, again, up to listeners. You all have your opinions, and you all, all you are all right. Um, but we are going to have football in some degree, and we will be here with you uh, previewing it so uh, and talking about it and all that sort of stuff. So, Can I say um, one more thing? Because this is something yeah. that has happened on um, social media in particular uh, recently, and it, it's, it's frustrating to me. Nate Edwards is not rooting for the season to be canceled. I am not rooting for the season to <laughs> yeah. be canceled. Nobody yeah. that does what we do for a living, maybe I shouldn't say nobody, almost nobody, no rational human being that does what we do for a living wants any sports to be canceled. Nope. Because it is our livelihood. If these mm-hmm. sports are canceled, what do you think happens to sports media coverage? It goes away in its current iteration. Money is yep. lost in college football, and money is lost by those that cover college football for a living. And so maybe there's somebody out there that is self-defeating and wants the college football season to go away. That person's insane, <laughs> um, and they're rooting against their so their own self-interest. But by and large, the vast majority of the people that you follow on Twitter that cover college football for a living, um, the people that you listen to on ESPN, the people like myself and Nate Edwards or whoever else you read on Rock M Nation, we are all rooting that this happens safely. It happens with everybody staying healthy throughout the season. And that's what we want to happen. The question is, can that happen? And that's mm-hmm. the discussion that I think we just had, Nate, with us here on mm-hmm. the show, and that a lot of people are having elsewhere, including athletic directors. They're asking those questions. Nobody's rooting for it not to happen. They're just asking, should it and can it happen? And that's the mm-hmm. discussion that needs to be had right now. I agree. Well said. That's our show. <laughs> we appreciate you listening. And we're still doing this, man. The fact that we're still doing this is, is a good thing. Um, yeah, but I am I am with you. We, uh, pl- please <laughs> rate and review us. <laughs> please give us feedback. We love feedback. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. You can tweet at us. I'm at Nate G Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation, and uh, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We're gonna try and do better next time. Maybe be a little bit more positive next time. We'll see. But until then, M I Z Z O U.